Welcome to this episode. What will we do without Sina? Um, thank you. So I, I do want to thank Sina for, uh, you know, for spearheading tonight. Uh, we have a very exciting um, uh, discussion tonight, a lecture tonight from Professor Moshe Harbatan. Uh, the last time that I was with uh, the professor was in New York, in which I was honored to share a panel with him speaking about Harambam, Maimonides. Um, it was a very interesting discussion. I, was, uh, I learned a lot from what the professor shared, but uh, most importantly, the reason why I actually, we actually ended up doing that panel was because a student of mine had asked me uh, a year prior if he had to read one book on the Rambam, which one would I recommend? And I had just read uh, Professor Halbertal's book on Harambam, and I, I, in what you know, in my perspective, it was the greatest book on Harambam that I had read, and I had read a few, um, and uh, it was just absolutely uh, remarkable. It it treated everything with such uh, clarity, with such depth, and such um, a clear ex uh, presentation that um, I was so honored to be able to have the opportunity to sit with him. My student then arranged uh, this, this panel, you know, in New York with the professor. So uh, before I introduce the professor and present the floor to him, and I'm not going to take too much time away from this, I do want to speak a bit about, uh, to our guests and everyone is he who's here, what the Safari Habura is about, right? So this is, this is a, a wonderful event that we're, we're doing tonight, which is an example of many events that we will do, please God, in the future, and some that we've done in previous, uh, previous uh, uh, weeks, but it's relatively new. And it is essentially this, uh, the, the S&P Sephardi community, the Spanish and Portuguese Sephardi community, recognizes um, that we are more than our culture. And in saying that, I mean, and right, I'm, I'm the senior rabbi of the, of the Spanish-Portuguese Sephardi community. It's the oldest community in the United Kingdom. They were established in 1656. And um, uh, there is so much uh, culture and custom that is part of this community. And it is not the only aspect of the Sephardim, right? But it definitely stands as a symbol, as a, as a, a pinnacle for the custom of the Sephardim that, frankly, is, is less and less heard in the world today. And so when people hear about the Sephardim, they think about food, they think about music, they think about Arabic culture, which is definitely part of it. But um, one of the aspects of the Sephardim of the Sephardi world that is, that is, in my opinion, becoming less and less heard are the ideas, the ideas, the approach that is unique to the world, to Torah, and to our Judaism. Um, and the point of the Sephardi Chabura, the, ultimately what is a bit Midrash Sephardi, is to be able to use our technology to present these ideas and to present this learning and to pre present this rich and deep historical heritage to the world, to anyone who wants to hear it. Um, and so it, the lecture tonight from Professor Halbertal is a wonderful example of, of you know, what it is that we want to present. Professor Halbertal uh, uh, has written uh, many books. He um, 
I'm going to say a bit about him before I turn the floor over to, to the professor. He is one of the leading Jewish academics uh, in the world at this time. And uh, he's the Gross Professor at NYU Law School, a professor of Jewish thought and philosophy at the U Hebrew University, and a member of Israel's National Academy for Sciences and the Humanities. He has written many books, among them, Idolatry, People of the Book, Canon, Meaning and Authority, which was published by Harvard University Press. He wrote a book called On Sacrifice. And of course, as I mentioned, he wrote a book called Maimonides, Life and Thought. He has just written a book on Nachmanides. So we might know them as Harambam and Ramban. And I always say the Ramban Nachmani to differentiate. But the Rambam and the Ramban Nachmani, not just because their names are so similar, are looked at as two very uh, opposing individuals or uh, hachamim in the Sephardi world. And they present two different approaches that are within the world of the Sephardi thought and approach. Uh, you know, I, I recall the Ari, Rabbi Tzhak Luri Ashkenazi, he writes about the two of them. And he says that they come from two opposite but parallel places in the heavens. Their souls were born in opposite but parallel places. Uh, but the Ramban people think um, was very much different or opposed from the Ramban, from Maimonides. But little, uh, few people realize or know that the Ramban Nachmani himself wrote an Igeret. He wrote a letter in the defense of Harambam himself, one of the most beautiful defenses of the Rambam. But it is not my job tonight to speak about them. It is the professor's job to speak about them. And the professor has just written a book on Nachmanides, as, as I said. And so we are looking very forward to hearing the professor's presentation tonight about Harambam and Haramban and the differences between them and their approaches to Torah and how ultimately they comprise a rich and meaningful world within the Sephardi thought and approach. They are, in no uncertain terms, the grandfathers, the ancestors of the Sephardi thought that we so treasure and prize today. Without further ado, Professor Halbertal, thank you so much for being with us tonight. I give you the floor. Thank you very much, Rabbi Dweck, and it's, uh, it's an honor and pleasure to be here among, among you. And uh, I, I really uh, congratulate you for, for, for the Chabura. It's such a wonderful idea and worth exploring and developing. And Yafutsu Ma'inotchem Achutsa in the most wonderful way. Um, it's kind of a renewal and a revival of a, of a wonderful uh, world that has to be explored, interpreted, made available. So, Ishal Koach. Thank you. Thank you. Um, um, I I um, I want to this this subject is so broad because uh, as Rabbi Dweck mentioned, uh, Moshe ben Maimon and Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman are the two greatest halachists, one of the 12th century and uh, one of the 13th century. Um, um, Ramban Ramban was uh, when when Rambam died in 1204, Ramban was around. 80 or nine years old, right? Ramban died in 1270. So, um, uh, and they, they belong to Sfarad in general, but to very two different places in Sfarad. Rambam, Moshe ben Maimon, born in 
אנדלוסיה, עם קורדובה, רמב"ן, משה בן נחמן, נחמנידס, בורן אין רייזין קטלוניה, אין חירונה, and then the great rabbi of Barcelona. So רמב"ן belongs to Christian Spain, רמב"ן belongs to Muslim Spain, אנדלוסיה עם קטלוניה. What makes them all both Sfaradim? It's a complex uh, question that we're going to have to uh, deal with. And uh, uh, I want to say something about Andalus. Uh, this is an historical observation. And then I will examine uh, one aspect, uh, one central aspect of the philosophy of Alakha of Moshe ben Nachman and the philosophy of Alakha of Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon. Let me start with a, uh, with, um, a historical observation. And, and it's very foundational to understand the world of the Sfaradi world in the 13th century. The world of Andalus, El Andalus, the, um, that was part of Muslim Spain, where the, uh, the major works of Arabic, Arab, Arabic Jewish culture were produced in Arabic, in Judeo-Arabic. Bachia Ibn Pakuda Chovat Al-Vavot, Kuzari of Rabbi Yudah Levi, the works of Rabbi Shlomo Ibn Gabirol, Avram Ibn Ezra. These were all products of Andalus. Needless to say, the great poetry and, and other figures that emerged from Andalus. That world actually collapsed and was completely shattered and broken in around the middle of the 12th century, around um, 1150, 60, because of the emergence of radical Muslim movement called the Muhaidun. Uh, which forced, among other things, forced Maimonides' family to flee from uh, Andalus southward to Morocco, to Fez, and other places. Then the, Rambam went, uh, the Rambam's family were, went through the Maghreb, through North Africa, uh, reached at the end uh, uh, Egypt, and the Rambam stayed in, in Fustat next to Cairo. But that world of Andalus was shattered completely. There is no actually uh, a genuine Jewish, uh, Judeo-Arabic culture after that moment in Andalus. But and now we come to a very important moment in Ramban's, Moshe ben Nachman's life. There were family, as, as the Rambam's family, and this is something actually I never understood, historically, and I don't know anybody, how anybody understands. The Rambam's family escaped from Andalus to North Africa, to Morocco, where the Muhaidun actually emerged from Morocco, expanded towards to the north, to Andalus, and took over uh, South Spain. And uh, as if he, he, he went to the eye of the storm, they escaped to the eye of the storm. Maybe they had protection there, I'm not sure, but that's what uh, the Rambam's family did. But many Andalusian Jews actually escaped across to the Pyrenees to Provence. And I want to talk about two Sfaradi families are very important in the history of Jewish thought. The family of Kimchi, right? Rabbi Dabi Kimchi, Radak, the family, great interpreters of the Bible, and the Tibonim. 
משה, שמואלי, יהודאי בן טיבון, שמואלי בן טיבון, great families of translators. They arrived to Provence, they crossed the Pyrenees and moved to a world of Jews in Ashkenaz that didn't know Arabic, didn't speak Arabic, didn't read Arabic, and they were engaged in a major translation of all Andalusian culture to Hebrew, the Tibonites. Right, the first, for example, translations of Chovot al Vavot and other works were done by uh, <coughs> Yudayim Tibon and others. And uh, Provence, on the one hand, was the place where Kabbalah emerges. On the other hand, through the family of Ravad, Rabbi Yitzchak Saginaor, and other figures, and on the other hand, it's the place where migrants, the aristocracy of Andalus immigrates, very well received by the leading rabbinic families of the area. But this is the place where Ashkenaz and Sfarad meet in Provence, in cities like Perpignan, Montpellier, and other places, Lunel. These are the cities where those cultures meet. This is why, this is also the place where cultural, Jewish cultural wars were enacted. When Shmuel ibn Tibon and his students and, and followers, he translates the, the Guide of the Perplexed, he translates it, Moren Evuchim, he translates it in the request and expectation of rabbinic figures in Provence who are admirers of the Rambam, around the, around the circle of Rabbi Yonatan Milunel, uh, the translation reaches Provence, and there are fierce critiques of the Rambam. By the way, in 1232, a fierce battle, violent cultural war emerges around the Rambam's legacy in Provence. Why in Provence and not in Paris or in Barcelona or Toledo? Because Provence is the meeting place that the old Andalusian families with their influence of reshaping Provencal Jewish culture, meeting the Ashkenazi world head on. And you have, uh, uh, this is a, a moment in Jewish history, a very painful moment, where uh, uh, certain figures in, in the rabbinic world of Provence are trying to ban the study of Morel Evuchim, Sefer Ramada, other works of Maimonides, they're not succeeding that much. Then they call, they call on for a, a, a help from the Tosafist in, in northern, northern France. And the Tosafists no, 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 have no qualms and they ban, uh, they ban including burn uh, Sefer Ramada and Morel Evuchim. It's actually a fierce communal battle that involved also uh, intervention of the Gentiles, different forces try to intervene, et cetera, et cetera. We can talk, we can give a whole few shiurim about the, the cultural war of medieval Jewry, but I'm trying to explain to you why it is in Provence, because Andalus at that time lives in Provence. That's where Andalus is. I mean, it moves a little bit to North Africa, that's true, the Rambam, 
but a lot of the, uh, the great families, the great families with great culture, moving from Sfarad to Ashkenaz to Provence. Here we come to Ramban. Moshe ben Nachman at the time was uh, relatively young, in his late 30s, and uh, he intervenes in the debate that is raging in Provence. He sits in Barcelona, has the, the whole Jewish culture actually uh, uh, gets to the Rambam, the Ramban, he, he knows everything. And he writes a letter to the Tosafists in, uh, in, uh, uh, from, from Barcelona in defense of the Rambam's world. This letter is called before I begin to write, I might be erring. It's kind of a, the great humility of Moshe ben Ahmad. By the way, this letter put an end to the ban. And Rabbi Dweck mentioned it in his introduction. It's, and it's not an accident that he mentioned it. It's a seminal letter. I, I'm going to read you uh, just to get the, 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 to get the force of the letter and to get Nachmanides' cultural sensibility, I want to read you a verse that, uh, that he said, uh, that Ramban mentioned in, uh, uh, towards, the, uh, towards the, the French rabbis. And he writes to them this, the following. V'imatem rabbanei tzarfat, imatem meaning the Tosafist, bechek emuna amunim, you are, you are uh, within faith, uh, residing within faith. Why is it working in the hall? Uh, you, you are planted within uh, the, the courtyards of tradition, secure and fresh. Right. You should be aware of what's going on in the in the corners of the world, the world that you don't know. Maimonides is as freed as freed the, the captives. He has been, he has restored their face and, and then he says, is, Did he address you? He asked them, are you aware of the cultural crisis that Maimonides is addressing in his world? Have you ever read Aristotle, Galinus? Do you know the sort of, the sort of contribution Maimonides had to that world that was engaged with Greek philosophy and thought? So he basically writes them and says, what, are you, what do you know about Rambo? You, you live in a completely different cultural space. So you have no, no way 
of uh, assessing Rambam's contribution, right? It's, it's a kind of, he writes to them and says, you, you're living in your own ghetto in some ways, you know, safe in your own walls of untouched tradition. And we've no understanding of the Rambam's contribution. So we see uh, a great defense of Ramban, Ramban's uh, uh, world of, of the Rambam. Uh, but I want to say one thing. And for me, I, I don't want to talk about Sfarad in general because it's too broad of a category. I want to talk about Andalus, Andalusia, and then we go to Castilla and Catalonia. Uh, Ramban was not part of the Andalusian culture for one very simple reason. He was a Kabbalist, a major figure of Kabbalah in the medieval period, a major. It is Torah, uh, Torah commentary. You come to a verse and he says, Al derech haemet, by way of truth, and the Ramban means Kabbalah. Kabbalah was not present in Andalus. I don't want to begin even to think what would have happened if Moshe ben Maimon, the Rambam, knew about the Kabbalists. I don't want to, I don't want to begin to think the sort of letters and his tone of approach towards them. Right. And, and the complete, by the way, we hear it from the, his students in Provence, uh, 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 the, the way they treat Kabbalah. We, uh, absolute hostility as a, as a, as a heresy within, uh, within Jewish thought. So uh, Ramban couldn't be part of that world. Now, clearly, the world of Andalus is a complex world. Rabbi Yudah Levi and Maimonides don't have the same approach to Yadut philosophically. Ibn Ezra is not the same like Rabbi Yudah Levi or the Rambam. But Kabbalah is not part of the world of Andalus. It's part of Spain, it's part of Sfarad, but not part of Judeo-Arabic culture at that time. The Zohar was, was, was uh, uh, maybe written, maybe discovered, whatever you say in Castilia. Uh, but, but within, it's also Sfarad. Sfarad encompasses basically everything. But if we talk about the Judeo-Arabic culture of Andalus, Ramban is not part of that world in a deep way. But, and here I want to talk about one aspect, and then I'm stopping with introductions and large pictures and large claims, and I want to get into a detailed conversation of one dimension of Ramban's work. And I want to talk about halacha. Ramban is in, Ramban is in, in uh, lives in Barcelona, and he's aware of all medieval halacha. He knows what's happening among the Tosafists, Rashi, the Tosafists, Ravad, Zrachi Alevi, all the figures of uh, France and Provence, all Ashkenazi Allah. But he has a very particular attachment 
very particular attachment and commitment to the reef, Rabbi Yitzchak Alfaz. In his work, Milchamot Tashem, and other works, Ramban's, if you, if you read in his Chidushim, Chidusha Ramban on the Shas, and I'm sure some of you have encountered Chidusha Ramban on the Shas, right? Chidusha Ramban on the Shas made it the greatest, the greatest interpretation on the Shas on the Talmud ever written in terms of analytic depth and, and philological care. Now, in his Chidushim, whenever he says Rabbeinu Agadol, our great teacher, Rabbeinu Agadol, it's interesting, Rabbeinu Agadol is always Rabbi Yitzchak Alfasi, the Rif. You have to remember, the Rif moves from North Africa, from Fez into Andalus, and he has a yeshiva in Lucina, and the great student and, and the heir of the Rif as the head of yeshiva in Andalus is Rabbi Yosef Alevi Ibn Migash, who is the teacher of Maimonides' father, Maimon. So here is a deep connection between Ramban and the Ramba, halachically speaking. There are Ramban for whatever reasons, and we're gonna, this is some, a question we have to, Ramban has a deep connection to Andalusian halacha, to Sfaradi halacha. Sfaradi, I mean in the strict sense of Andalus, through his attachment to Rabbi Yitzchak Alfas. And the Rambam, clearly is a product of that world of halacha. You know, the Rambam says, when he says, when the Rambam says Rabotai in Mishneh Torah, he means two figures, not his immediate teachers, he means Rif, Rabbi Yitzchak Alfasi, and Ibn Migash. So we have two great figures, one a philosopher, one a Kabbalist. The great pillars of medieval Jewry. Uh, they have different theological approach, but halachically, they have, when they speak about their teacher, stam teachers, they are referring to the Andalusian halachic tradition. The Rif is a central figure in their work. Now I wanna uh, introduce uh, and hear uh, um, um, something that is central to our conversation, which is the philosophy of Allah and their relationship to the Geonim. Rambam wrote uh, uh, the last work, among the last works of, of Rabbi Moshe ben Achman. Ramban was uh, his asagot, his, uh, his commentary, his critique of uh, uh, Sefer, Sefer HaMitzvot of the Ramba, Asagot Le Sefer HaMitzvot of the Ramba. And uh, in, in, in this Asagot, in these uh, uh, annotations, the Ramban uh, creates um, a, an argument, makes a, a strong argument against Rambam's philosophy of Alaha. And I want to uh, touch upon this issue of their 
approaches to philosophy of Allah. And it has to do with their relationship to the Geonim. Um, I'm going to read the approach to halakha uh, and to controversy uh, as it was articulated in in the Gonim's world, and uh, uh, and this is a, a text um, a text written by uh, another Andalusian figure, Avrami ben Daoud the author of Sefer Kabbalah, and he represents the view of the Geonim towards uh, controversy, truth, and other aspects of philosophy of Allah. And I'm gonna read and translate as we go along and we'll talk about the foundations of this approach. He writes the following. The Sefer Kabbalah, this book of tradition, כתבנו להודיע לתלמידים כי כל דברי רבותינו זל חכמי המשנה והתלמוד, כולם מקובלים, חכם גדול וצדיק מפי חכם גדול וצדיק, ראש ישיבה וסיעתו מפי ראש ישיבה וסיעתו. He says, by the way, I'm reading the Hebrew translation of the Arabic here, uh, so I should have actually translated immediately to English. Uh, and he says, uh, I, we've written this book of tradition is written, uh, uh, to, to announce to the students that all the words of our teachers uh, are all received. One scholar from another scholar, one of the yeshiva from another of the yeshiva, uh, and the, 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 etc. It's It has been always the case that the rabbis of the Talmud and even more so the rabbis of the Mishnah, even a small thing didn't renewed from their own thinking. So all of, all of, uh, all of halakha is tradition, received from Moshe Nisina, oral law, all of halakha. There is no innovation in the Talmud, it's all tradition. Now comes the question, and, and, and now comes the question, and he says, and if someone claims to you, why is it that they have controversies? Why are there controversies? If everything is tradition, why are there controversies in the Talmud? Answer him, and here's a, here's a problem. If everything is tradition, received from Moshe, Misinai, all over law, why are the controversies in the Talmud, in the mission? And then he says the following. You should answer him the following way. The rabbis never argue about the principle of a mitzvah only about its details. They have, they have heard the, 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 the central issue from their teachers, but 
they have missed, they didn't ask about the details. Kayotsebo, Bipnei Sheloshim Shu Kol Tzorcham, they weren't diligent enough. Kayotsebo, Lo Nechleku Im Adlikim Ner Shabbatim Lo, Alma Nechleku, Bemem Adlikim O Bemem Adlikim. Vechen, Im Chayavim Anu Likrot Kriyat Shema Arvi Vishacharit Im Lo, Alma Nechleku, Meimatai Korim Et Shema Be'arvit, Umeimatai Korim Et Shema Be'shacharit, Vechen, Bechol Divrihem. He says the following. This is, by the way, the Gaonic view of controversy prior to the Ramadan. It says the following. Akadosh Baruch Hu said everything to Moshe. When he, he, when he, when he said to him, he also detailed to Moshe Rabbeinu, he detailed not only the duty to recite the Shema, he detailed to him also the time of the recitation. And it was passed in tradition. But because it was passed in tradition, and because there were students who were not diligent enough, they forgot those details, and they began to argue. So controversy, according to this opinion, controversy of halacha, is an accident, a downfall from a prior harmonic, united starting point that was deteriorated through forgetfulness and lack of diligence among students. Right here, he reiterates the Talmudic uh, source, Mishirabu Talmidei Shamayim V'Hilel Shemot Koshimshu Kol Tzorkam, by the way, this view, I, I want to say, if you look at the Gaonic view, and I'll let it, I, I'm going to call it the restorative view, has the following understanding of philosophy halacha. And Maimonides will challenge everything of it, every bit of it. Let's start with a revelation. Revelation was complete. Everything was in said in, in, in Sinai. Controversy is a downfall of an harmonious, complete tradition that was distorted through lack of diligence of students. So there is a theory of controversy. There's also a theory of interpretation. Interpretation doesn't innovate anything. It's an attempt to restore lost knowledge. There is also a theory of truth, which is the following. Every time we have a controversy, one of the sides of the controversy is wrong, right? If you have an argument, you have two opinions. One of them is wrong. Because Hashem said at Sinai, one of those opinions, or maybe both of them. So you have a theory of truth. You also have a theory of authority, which is the earlier you are in time, the more authoritative you are. Why? You, are, you have better and fresher and more authentic knowledge of the whole 
before it was deteriorated in time. So you look at this philosophy of halacha emerging from the Geonim, you have, as I said, a theory of revelation, a theory of controversy, a theory of interpretation, a theory of truth, and a theory of authority. Maimonides challenges all of them, and Nachmanides will challenge Maimonides coming with a third position. Let's go to Rambam. Rambam writes his Perusha Mishnah in his introduction to Perusha Mishnah. It's very interesting. The first work that the Rambam wrote, a systematic work, Perusha Mishnah, his interpretation of Mishnah. You read the introduction. His writing is when he's around 25 years old, something like that. In his 20s, mid-20s, late 20s. He writes an introduction to the Mishnah and he begins to outline his philosophy of Allah. And in one section in the Perush, I'm going to read uh, a, a section, he says, uh, Alakha, uh, you can divide all of Alakha into, into five. And he says, um, and, uh, and then he says, uh, uh, the, first, the first element are those laws received from Hashem in Sinai to Moshe. Orally, and these laws, there is no controversy. Whatever was received, there is no controversy about it. Then he comes and then he says, there are laws, uh, but you can find through interpretation proof to these laws that were given orally to Moshe. Then he says the second aspect of, of the law, it's not that important, the laws of Moshe Mishnah were given to Moshe via tradition, but nobody can find them through interpretation. Now comes the third dimension. It's very important. He says the following. The third aspect. He says the third element of the law is those laws that were derived via interpretation. And in those laws that were derived via interpretation, controversy emerges. There was no tradition about them, and they were derived through interpretation and controversy emerges. I want to say, uh, 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 I will continue. Uh, um, I'm, I'm continuing now uh, Rambam's uh, thought, uh, uh, quoting from Perusha Mishnah, whoever thinks Whoever thinks that controversy is a result of a deterioration of tradition. That's the Geonim's view. These are uh, 
reprehensible and ugly things to say. הוא פוגם באנשים אשר נתקבל ממנו המצוות, וכל זה שם הוא בטל. So let me, let me uh, recast Maimonides' position, and then we're going to go to Ramban's position, Nachmanides' position, according to Maimonides. Revelation didn't include all of the law. It included only a kernel, a core. When God gave Torah to Moshe, he says to him, Beshochvecha, and he didn't give a detailed time orally. When does Machloket appear? When the rabbis, when the Chachamim begin to ask, what is the time of Beshochvecha, of Kriyat Shema? And they argue if Beshochvecha is when you go to sleep or while you're sleeping. Is it at the beginning of the evening or all night? Then controversy emerges. If there would have been a Kabbalah about it, a, a tradition about it, there wouldn't have been any controversy. Controversy begins with interpretation. So let me say, so there is the following. It challenges all aspects of Gaonic view. It's interesting. First of all, Revelation didn't include everything, one thing. Second, controversy is not a result of forgetting of tradition. It's a result of the entry of the human creative voice into halacha. There controversy begins. Third, Interpretation. Interpretation is not the attempt to restore old knowledge that was forgotten or lost, but interpretation is a creative act of adding new rules. Halacha accumulates through time, through innovative interpretations of the rabbis. Truth, fourth. Truth is not about whether you missed, in cases of controversy, Truth is not about whether you missed what was said already in silence. Truth is about whether your interpretation coheres well with the psukim, with the premises provided by the Torah. For a fifth authority, authority, it's not the case that when you are earlier, you have more authority. Why? Because tradition always stays intact. There is no forgetting in tradition. Whatever was received in Sinai is kept with us as it was. So Maimonides challenges all aspects of Geonic philosophy of Halacha. Revelation, controversy, interpretation, truth, and authority. By the way, what's the theological stake in the argument? And soon we're gonna go get to Nachmanides and there I'll finish and we're gonna open the discussion to some questions. What's the stake in the argument? On the one hand, you know, what's attractive about the Geonic view is that you anchor all of Alaha, all of its details, in Revelation. Everything was given at Sinai, everything. 
even at what time you, at what exact time of Kriyat Shema Alamit, or Shel Arvit, or Shacharit. Everything. But this is, but if this is the case, then you have to, inter, then you have to account, how is it that there are controversies? And then, in order to anchor everything in revelation, you undermine the authenticity of tradition. Right? Because you have to say, well, we, some material was lost. So you say, well, only details, but you know, the, the rest of tradition really was kept intact. Now, the trade-off for Maimonides is different because Maimonides keeps intact tradition. He says, whatever received in Simon was kept. You cannot put blemish on the rabbis that they forgot what was given to them by God through their own teachers. So, but, so when, when does controversy emerge? When rabbis through their own innovative force begin to add details to halacha, then controversy emerges. Now, you are shrinking the scope of controversy to save the authenticity of tradition. Well, Maimonides, for Maimonides, is not that much of a problem because he thinks that reason can create normative commitments, divine almost normative commitments. Now we get to Ramban, Moshe ben Nachman's theory of the uh, halacha. And I want to quote here, I'm quoting uh, one of his students. Uh, um, uh, you know that uh, one of the greatest things about Ramban Nachmanides is that he was, uh, um, all of the Rishonim of Catalonia, Rashi, uh, uh, Rashi, Ramban, uh, uh, sorry, Rashba, Ran, Ritva, they're all students of Nachmanides. And I'm now quoting from the Ritva's Chidushim, Chidusha Ritva on Masechet Eruvin, Yud Gimel, Daf Yud Gimel Amud Bet. And the Ritva poses the following question. Shalu Rabbanei Tzarfat, the Tosafis. איך אפשר שיהיו שניהם דברי אלוהים חיים? היא שואלת וזה אוסר וזה מתיר, this prohibits and that permits. ותרצו, and they answer, כי כשעלה משה למרום לקבל תורה, when משה came to heaven to receive the Torah, הראו לו על כל דבר ודבר ממתת פנים לאיסור וממתת פנים להיתר. They showed him about every הלכה, 49 reasons for permitting, 49 reasons for prohibiting. And Moshe says, so what do we do about it? And Moshe says, so what do we do about it? 
ויהיה הכרעה כמותם. ונכון הוא לפי הדרש, ובדרך האמת יש טעם סוד בדבר. This is the approach of the school of Ramban, and I want to say a few things about this approach and finish my presentation. What, what does this approach say? Challenging, by the way, all aspects of Maimonides' philosophy of halacha, revelation. Revelation in revelation, all Torah is given, including the controversies. Controversy. Controversy, unlike what the Gonim thought, that is an accident, or unlike what Maimonides thought, that it begins when human begins, the human element begins to interpret Torah and innovate, controversy is milechatchila, part and parcel of the nature of revelation itself. The Torah was given in a multifaceted way. So there is a difference about controversy. There is also a difference about revelation. And there is also a difference about truth. Because according to this view, when you have machloket, no side is actually wrong. Because both sides are anchored in God's multifaceted revelation. Interpretation. Interpretation is not about restoring North knowledge. It's not about adding new halachot. Interpretation is constitutive, consti constitutive. It's about constituting meaning out of many options that are legitimate in Torah itself. By the way, it's interesting. When the Ritva presents, so let's take the first controversy in the Mishnah. The first controversy in the Mishnah, when do we read the Shema in the evening? According to Geonim, we have three views about this controversy. According to Geonim, Hashem said to Moshe, and then he says to him orally, I mean, at Sofa till the first third of the day, of the evening. That's the view, or he said something. He gave the detailed time. It was part of revelation. According to Rambam, he said only If he would have said orally a time, we wouldn't have any controversy. When Chachamim began to Ed, they want to know now, not only the general idea of the Shofecha, but the actual time, and they begin to interpret, controversy begins. According to Ramban, Ritva, and his school, when God gave Torah, he says to Moshe, to Moshe Rabbeinu, and he gave him 49 reasons why it is all night and why it is third of the night. The first first. And then Moshe asked, so what do we do? And HaKadosh Baruch said, you know, you should, have, you should interpret the Torah. It's yours to decide. 
So, I, so we have three views of halacha. I call them the following. One is restorative. All of halacha was given. The other one is accumulative. The Rambam's view, halacha accumulates through time. And the third one is constitutive. What do I mean? The perush, the interpretation, is such that it constitutes meaning. It constitutes meaning through multiplicity of options that are legitimated in revelation itself through its giving. So what do we see, by the way? Here's actually an interesting encounter between, uh, 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 between three, uh, three views of halacha, one presented by the Gonim, the other one presented by the Ramban, and the other one presented by Ramban, Mahmanides. Let, let, me, let, me, uh, uh, let me stop here. Uh, uh, um, this, this really, uh, uh, I, I, I see that there is a question about the sources. I will send the sources, uh, uh, I will send the sources to all the Chavura and the participants. You know, one is the introduction of, as I said, one of the, one is the introduction of Avraham ibn Daoud to Sefer Kabbalah. The other one is Maimonides, uh, uh, words and statements in Agdama le Perusha Mishnah, and the third one is Ritva, Chidusha Ritva le Ruvin Yud Gimel Amudbet. Three very different views of all of Alacha, um, uh, which theologically, religiously, uh, really touch about the foundations of our thinking of what Alacha is. So, um, so uh, let's let's uh, let's uh, let's take some questions. Anybody wants to ask? I see some questions over the chat, but I'm not good at uh, reading the chat and talking to people simultaneously. I am of this old generation. So, uh, well, first of all, so why don't you raise your hand and ask? Yeah, I think that would be best if they either want to raise their hand. I want to first of all, professor, say that I don't want you to stop. It's been tremendously, tremendously uh, exciting and wonderful to hear you and to hear the presentation. Thank you so much again for taking the time to share with us. Um, but yes, if anyone has any questions, you can either raise your hand or um, you know virtually. Okay. So we have Sam. Sam, where's Sam? Um, Sam. Sam, there you are, Sam. All right, Sam has a question. I will ask you to unmute, and you can unmute and ask your question. Hello, Professor. Firstly, thank you very much for a wonderful uh, uh, presentation. I just have a one question. How do the Gaonim, the Ramban, and the Rambam, how do they know what they're, what they're saying? What are they basing themselves on? Well, you see, it's interesting. Ritva bases itself on a, on a particular, on a Gemara, right? Elu ve'elu divrei Elohim chayim. These and these are the words of God. Uh, by the way, this statement, Elu ve'elu divrei chayim, never quoted in all of Rambam's corpus. I mean, this is a, this is a risky statement to make, but as far as I know, uh, Moshe ben Maimon, Maimonides never quotes this Gemara. 
Now, uh, Geonim have their sources in a different view of controversy in Sanhedrin, in the Tosefta, says Misherabut Talmidei Shamay Vilel Shaloshim Kushu Kol Tzorkan. Barishona lo aita machloket b'Yisrael, Misherabut Talmidei Shamay Vilel Shaloshim Kushu Kol Tzorkan, naasta Torah kashtet, rabu machloket b'Yisrael, naasta Torah kashtet. So they have their, their own source of the... of uh, the understanding of controversy, which Maimonides reads it in a completely different way. So basically what happened is, if you look carefully, there is controversy already in the Talmud about why there is controversy, and they, they, uh, they uh, uh, develop different approaches through those voices into a full-fledged philosophical point of view. Yeah. Sam, you have a follow-up? Follow yes, please. Yeah, so my, no, my question is like, okay, so I understand that they have their sources, and, and obviously the Ritvan, the Ramban are privileging over the Tosefta, but my question is, why have they chosen that interpretation? How do they know that their interpretation, that their interpretation is correct? As in, why, why is... Why, why are they going in privileging Shiloshim Shukol Tzorkan? I'll tell you why. Because the thrust is deeply theological. Mm. What drives the Geonim? It's also connected to the Antakarai debate, but uh, that's uh, on the side of it. But uh, what's the thrust theologically? By the way, you hear today as well people who think this way theologically. You want to anchor all of Allah in God's words, right? After all, most of Allah is, is, is not directly right? But you want to say, when I do a mitzvah, I'm obeying God's word, God's will. So there is an attempt to include all of Allah at Sinai. That's the thrust. Now, the, the trade-off, and it's complicated, if all of Allah is Sinai, why are you arguing all the time? It's a tough question. You say, well, we forgot some stuff. You forgetting? Are you crazy? No, no, just the minor issues. Some students weren't on Zoom, were, I don't know. Rambam wants to keep a steady kernel of halacha untouched. Whatever was given in Revelation is untouched. You cannot say it was given and forgotten. But theologically, he understands that human reason is part of the creative religious force in creation of halacha. By the way, the Rambam is the first one to say in the history of halacha post-Talmudic that chachamim chitshu halachot midatam. And that's where controversy enters. Why he doesn't, why he doesn't mind theologically doing that? It's because he thinks that reason has the power to create norms that are religiously obligated. He has no problem to say, uh, you know, chachamim through interpretation accumulated laws, halachot. So there is a theological debate between them. Now, when we go to Ramban, that's where you have Kabbalah. Per perceiving uh, since there is already a, a certain type of plurality within divinity, 
and I don't want to get to Ramban's concept of Torah, which is very powerful and interesting, Kabbalistically speaking. You can imagine someone claiming that the Torah itself is multifaceted in the way the divine world is multifaceted. So what you have is large theological thinking that have a large impact on the foundations of philosophy of halacha of different trends within Jewish medieval world. Thank you. Uh, Rav Shmuley, Phillips, you have a, you have a question. I'll ask you to unmute. Here you are. Hi. Can you hear me? You hear you, yeah. Hi, thank you. First of all, thank you very much. Um, question, when we talk about the opinion of the Gaonim, does, does that mean they were all united in this uh, approach? So to speak, that all the Gaonim for all these centuries had a certain approach to Makhlaket and suddenly Ramam's coming along and changing it, or there was some level of dispute even going back in the period of the Gaonim, which... Uh, well, uh, I would say the following. It's mostly unanimous. I mean, there are variations between Rav Sadi Agaon, Rav Shrira Gaon. There are variations, but it's mostly unanimous. And it's based on the following idea. Uh, it's based on the idea that all Torah Shebaal Pei is a received tradition. It's mostly unanimous. And, my, and the Rambam breaks with the Gaonic tradition completely. A very major break at that stage. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. By the way, it's not the only break that he makes. We've gone him. And and by the way, one source of the clash between Nachmanides and the Rambam is Nachmanides is a defender of the Geonic tradition. Many, many times. And he writes Sefer Mitzvot, Asagot Lifesar Mitzvot, because Maimonides beginning of the Asagot is a fierce attack on Baal Alachot Gdolot, you know, one of the greatest Geonim, Rabbi Shimon Karaya. And, uh, and, Maimon, and Nachmanides is furious with the relationship of Maimonides to Geonim, furious. But anyway, I just want to say, and this is by way of, uh, of uh, just beginning a new thought, for, for Maimonides, the Rif is a new era in relationship to the Geonim. That's the way Maimonides view the Rif. For Nachmanides, the Rif is the Batrai of the Geonim. It's the kind of culmination of the Geonic world. And this is why for Nachmanides, defending the Rif is defending the whole tradition prior to the Rif. So there is a whole clash of the relationship to the Geonim. By the way, Maimonides in the introduction to the Mishneh Torah said that he doesn't accept Geonic authority. And when the Mishnah Torah gets to Baghdad, where the Geonim, the hairs of Geonim are seated, it's not well received. Not at all. Not at all. Huge clash. From what it would have learned in the way of the Geonim and the Rambam changed from that. Well, I, I'll tell you the following. If you want to think about Andalusia, it goes the following, and, and this is a historical point of view. All of Sfarad begins from Babel, right? What you have is Jews are following Islamic conquest of the Maghreb and Spain, right? Jews are following the Muslims, right? And they, and they from the center, 
from the center in Bavel, they spread through North Africa, entering south of Spain, right? That's the root of the Jews. So the mother community is in Baghdad, right? That's the mother community. But as we know many times, the, the grandchildren begin to be greater than the mother community. And the mother community still think itself as the grand community. Now the achievements of Andalusia are shadowing what was going on in Baghdad. And for them, you know, it's like, okay, you know, so there is a whole, there's a whole complex relationship. Now, the Baghdadis still think we are, we are Beidina Gadol, you know, we sit on the seat of Ravashi and Ravami. It's not stam that the Rambam signed his name Hasfaradi for his whole life. All the time. Even I'm when the, he's in Egypt. Yeah. Even in Egypt, years and years, he will call himself Hasfaradi all the time. All uh, the time. Yeah. A question from Rabbi Kada. Ask you uh, to unmute. Thank you very much, Professor Halberdal, for fascinating shiur. Um, on the opinion of the Rambam, I have three questions. Rambam, my mom. Firstly, um, Bishlam, according to the Gaonim, I can understand what the Nevi'im were doing. They already had the details of the Halakha, which was all given in Sinai. And as time went on, then people forgot things. According to Rambam, that really no detail was given. Um, until until the Chachamim and the Mishnah decided to, to debate it. Now, what was happening for the last 1,500 years until then? You know, when were they saying Kriyat Shema, Sof Siman, you know, the three hours? But what was going on during all that time? That's number one. Number okay. two is, um, according to the Rambam, um, how does he explain um, uh, the Gemara and Shabbat, in Rishonim Kemalachim, you know, the, 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 the concept, at least, of Yeridat Adorot, Right. from right. the Gemara. And right. third question, how does he explain, um, how does he explain the Gemara? Mishrabu Machlok, Shoshim, Talmidim, Shoshim, Shukot, Sorkam. How does he actually explain that? Okay, so let's start with the third question because about that we have a particular address of Rambam himself. The other questions we just try to speculate. Rambam says, what is Shoshim, Shukot, Sorkam? It's not that they lost given positive traditions. They didn't trade themselves well in legal argument and legal logic. They were just jurisprudentially bad. Because if they were well trained in argumentation, they would reach more or less the same conclusions. Because people who have good way of reasoning, at least that's what the Rambam thinks, they have thorough ways of reasoning debating with one another, arguing, uh, counter-arguments, etc., they're going to reach a consensus. And, uh, and the problem with Shammai, the Talmidei Shammai Vilel, that their, that their mode of, of argumentation was weak. Not that they have, for him, God forbid, that they've forgotten received traditions from Sinai. That's something Rambam is not willing to accept. Theologically, in his relationship to tradition, it's, uh, so that's, uh, that's his approach. Now, uh, uh, the Rambam does think that there is a Yeridat Adorot to a certain degree. It doesn't apply 
but it's not it's not um, a complete logic of history it's it doesn't go in a in a in in one slope there are ups and downs etc etc uh, his vision of history is complicated and clearly he wouldn't posit himself as a chamor in light of the geonim that they were bnadam not at all his own self perception is now you have to remember I, I want to tell you something about Rambam. Rambam is, a, is an immigrant. All his, most of his life is an immigrant. He's an immigrant from a great culture, right? He, he comes from a great culture, Andalus. And he doesn't think himself or his world as, a, as kind of historically uh, inferior to prior generations. He thinks about his world as a kind of a summit that has to be preserved and lost. By the way, all the great Jewish codes are written by immigrants. That's true about the Mishneh Torah, it's true about Shulchan Aruch. Rabbi Yosef Karo is an immigrant. Here's another Sfaradi, expelled, not by the Mu'al Muhadin, but by the Christians, right? We have to remember Rabbi Yosef Karo is uh, is uh, is uh, is a heir of a lost tradition. Codification, in many ways, is an attempt of preserving a lost world by immigrants. Now, the th the first question is what what have they done? They've done different things. We don't know what they have done. Could be this way. Could they that way? But unlike the rabbis. They, they had conventions, they didn't have arguments. They might have different conventions, this should this way, this should that way, but it wasn't solidified in an interpretive attempt to figure out interpretively what Torah meant. And therefore, they didn't establish halacha. Halacha was established only by the Tanaim. They might have different, you know, modes they did it. At 7.30, when they came from here, when they came from there, there wasn't real halacha in that respect. There was a minhag. Thank you. Uh, Rabbi Lisha, you have a question. Thank you very much, Professor. Um, two questions. First of all, is there any evidence that the um, occupations of the Rambam, the Ramban, as phys physicians had any bearing on their hashkafa and worldview, or vice versa? That's the first question. Second, I can't second imagine question. You're asking before... that for any particular reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and the second question is um, Do you believe, personally, I know there were some commentators and many safarim have been written that, that the Rambam did study Kabbalah. There's some evidence of Kab that, that, that he did study Kabbalah in, in the Mishnah Torah. Do you believe that he was familiar with Kabbalah? Obviously, Zahar wasn't available in the format that we have it, but do you believe that the Rambam was exposed to Kabbalah um, or not? Well, uh, let's start with this uh, second question. I don't think the Rambam was exposed to the Kabbalah uh, as uh, medieval Kabbalah. He knew Sefer Shiur Koma, which, he, uh, uh, which in earlier versions of Perusha Mishnah, he tended to interpret it allegorically, and later version he rejects it as a complete heresy, etc., etc. 
but he didn't know the Kabbalah of Sfirot. There was no hint of his knowledge. And his, his conceptions of unity are so strict that if we would have encountered the Kabbalah of Sfirot, especially if they think at Smut, not at Kelim, the different versions of Kabbalah, but uh, he, that would have been a real, uh, you would, you would, he would make you know that he knows by denouncing. Uh, That's a wonderful point. I have to say, not that I'm saying in Machriya Dvarav Chas Shalom, but he would make you know that he knows by denouncing it. But, uh, but there are no, there are no, I, not that I know of any hints that uh, we have students of his encountering it, you know. By the way, uh, it's interesting because uh, there is a comment on the Rivash in the name of the Ran, right? Rivash is a student of the Ran, and there is a comment on Rivash in the name of the Ran that says, "V'yoter midai shikatz mo b'kabalahi." A critique of Nachmanides being a Kabbalist by his own student. So, uh, 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 so. That's, that's, one, uh, that's one important thing. Now, being physicians, right, you, here are true, true physicians, good, you know, both of them, by the way, very close to the authorities. It's interesting. The Rambam was the physician of the Grand Vazir of Salah Adin, right? He was very close to the court. And the Rambam, Ramban, Moshe ben Nachman, also was a physician of the court, very close to the Chaime, the king of Aragon. Right, the debate with the, the with the with the Christians, the great debate, Pulmusa Ramban was in front of the king, and the king claimed that Ramban won the argument. So uh, that also made them gave them some political relation with authorities. But uh, uh, Ramban had more ambivalent view of medicine, mm. and. Uh, and that has to do with his theory of bitachon, etc. Uh, Very famously, he was he he said in, in that one should not go to doctors. If, exactly. The lack in emuna, and exactly. also the, the Ramban never published anything. He didn't no. write any medical no. books. Whereas the Rambam no. wrote over forty. Sure. Yeah. Huge, yeah. huge, huge medical work, uh, and they also belong to different medical traditions. But, uh, but I think it would be interesting to see uh, Ramban's view of, of, of medicine, religious, the religious engagement in medicine per se. But that's a, a very interesting relation and complex attitude towards their own profession that they both have. Okay. Professor, Thank do you. we have time for two more questions or, or we- Sure, 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 we have time, sure. All right, so question from Jack. Yeah, hi, Professor. Thank you very much. Uh, very, it's, 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 a, it's so much knowledge and so much breadth and such great analysis. It's, it's really amazing and intimidating. Um, just to pull it back a, a little bit, um, I was just wondering if you could talk a bit about how Psak Halacha or, or deciding being Machriya and Machloket um, would work for the different views um, that you put out for the Gornim, for the Ramban, for the Ramban. Um, yeah. Right. So uh, uh, it's a very interesting question. I would say the following. If you are in the view of the Gornim, 
and you have a theory of truth, and there is a machloket. And you say, truth is what was given at Sinai, and we're trying to figure out what actually was given since we forgot it. You will tend to go lechumra, right? Because the price of mistake is missing on what actually God said. Right? Now, uh, according to Ramban in Psak, and Ramban said, Ramban has this, uh, this term that he uses both in his Asagot uh, Lesefer HaMitzvot and in his interpretation of Torah, Al Dat Chachamim Nitna Torah. According to the opinion of the rab, when he interprets the Isur, Lot Asur Mimeno Yaminu Smol, Afilu Omrim Lecha Al Yamin Shu Smol Val Smol Shal Yamin, Al Dat Chachamim Nitna Torah. Basically, the Ramba, uh, Nachmanidis view is Psak could never be wrong. It's, it's kind of a radical view. Because when the Beidin decides, the Beidin constitutes the very meaning of Torah. It doesn't have prior authoritative meaning before the Beidin actually ruled his rule. I mean, talking about Sanhedrin, right? He says it. Why? Because all, in some ways, because all opinions are, are legitimate, they constitute halacha through their stock. Now, Rambam, by the way, in Ilchot Mamrim, says something very radical. He says, that Beidin, Katan, can argue against the prior Beidin Gadol if it's a matter of Svara. It's, it's actually very powerful. He says, the rule that Beidin, the, that the future small Beidin cannot argue with the past great Beidin is only on matters of Takanot, of enactment, but not interpretations. So, uh, so we have uh, all the three approaches have deep implications about what do we mean by psak. And you should study that chapter, Perek Bet Milchot Mamrim, is a very important chapter, uh, where Maimonides says, you know, uh, hierarchical relationships between Batei Dinim has to do when those Batedinims are issuing enactments which come from their own authority. But if they reason, then a small court in the future can say we have a different reason. Thank you. And um, finally, Robert Sassoon for our last question tonight. Yes, uh, I'd, I'd like to reiterate everybody's comments that it's been a fascinating talk, but I'd like to ask the professor to, to elucidate a little bit more on the opinion of the, the Ramban. So I can understand the, the opinion of the Goanim, and I understand the opinion of, of, of Ramban, but the Ramban, why is it attractive to him to say that, that Moshe, Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu received this multifaceted Torah with all the, if you like, the, the machloket of the Gemara actually in the Torah? What what sort of worldview does that enable for him? 
because you know you, I, I can the other um, I guess the other the other views are much simpler and, and easier perhaps with my limited understanding but I'm really struggling to understand what motivates him to say that you know it's it's almost a bit like Lower Laney, some people say that you know Hashem buried the dinosaurs here just to confuse us, right? So, so why why did he, he, he give us from the, from the view of the Ramban? Why does he give us these machlokets yeah. as being effectively divine? Good. By the way, all your questions are wonderful, and uh, and thank you. This is as well a very wonderful question. I I uh, I want to say the following. That has to do with understanding Ramban's view of revelation. Because uh, I'm going to say something radical, but uh, but in order to ground it, we're going to have to read Ramban's introduction to his Perusha Torah and other texts. We think of revelation, I mean, in a simple manner, as a message given by God to humans, right? A book or a statement, etc. For the Ramban following the Kabbalists, revelation is not a message given to God. It's God's own self-revelation, right? Kuchabrichu v'Torah, there is a, almost a unity. It's the way, if I want to give you a metaphor, and it's only a metaphor, it's the, it's the way you read me when you see my face with hundreds of, dozens of facial muscles, and I express myself in different ways through my face. I've kind of revealed myself to you. So the Torah is God's own face uh, by way of analogy. Now, if God is infinite and the Torah is infinite, what your reading of the Torah only scratches a very small potential meaning of that world called Torah, right? Not only that, by the way, Maimonides says in the beginning of the commentary of the Torah, a Torah is the names of God. The original Ur Torah is a chain of God's names, which means it is God's own self-revelation. And uh, if you begin to think of Torah this way, you're going to get closer to what he thinks, right? Because revelation then is an all-encompassing wisdom that whatever you take of it is just an aspect you carve through human encounter with that divine corpus. And uh, that's now since it is, it engages multiplicity. You can imagine, by the way, I just want to say most Kabbalists, the Kabbalists are the most pluralist about controversy because they always can anchor controversy in God's own self-multiplicity. You know, that comes from Dean, from Chesed, etc., etc., etc. So if you think about Torah this way, you're going to begin to 
if not agreeing, at least sensing the gestalt in which the theological gestalt, the religious gestalt, where this can be embedded. Thank you. Professor, I, I can say uh, pretty confidently that everybody will be sleeping with the Malachim tonight, with the angels tonight, <laughs> after a discussion like that. We are so honored and so, I know I speak on behalf of everyone here, that we are so honored and so grateful that you took the time to share such wonderful thought in enlightening and inspiring uh, uh, ideas and thought for us tonight, which I, I can say personally, it inspires my own Torah, my own identity, and my own uh, my own uh, joy and commitment to our Derech Li'ud. Thank you for the work that you do, and thank you for the study that you do. And so I want to say to everyone, please pay close attention, the professor's new book on the Ramban, Nachmanides, Law and Mysticism, is available now for pre-order on Amazon, and it is launching on 27th October. I, for one, cannot wait to read it and get my hands on it. Um, but... Uh, and I will ask you, Professor, for, for, for a Hadgasha when I get a chance. To see you, please, God, in person very soon when we're able to. I want to thank everyone for being here tonight and for taking part. I know many people had other, other questions, but these are discussions, and these questions will carry on with Rezat Hashem in the, in the Bet Midrash together. We look forward. And thank you. It's an honor. Thank you for having me, and, and really thank you for the questions. Really, there were, I've learned a lot from the questions. So. Thank you, Professor. That's the to all of you. Amen, amen. Okay. And to you, and to you, and we look forward to more. Please, God, in the future. Amen, amen. Good night, everyone. Good night. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bet Midrash. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to rate and review. Have a wonderful day.